Romans chapter 13, looking at verses 11 through 14. It reads like this from the Apostle Paul. Besides this, you know that the time, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, for some of us here, we love long road trips. Now, personally for myself, I, I don't like long road trips, and I personally don't like driving for long road trips because there's just something about the car that as you sit there and it vibrates, like you just, you just want to fall asleep, right? And, and, and the reason I don't like driving in that is because it is so dangerous to drive drowsy that there's oftentimes when I'm driving and it's quiet and it's dark, and especially if you're driving through the Midwest and it's cornfield after cornfield after cornfield, after a couple of hours, you're going to get sleepy really fast. So you try to do everything you can to stay awake. You blast on the radio. You drink coffee, Mountain Dew, Red Bull, whatever, right? You open up the windows. You start screaming in the car. You're slapping your face, whatever you can to, to stay awake. It's a constant battle in that car to fight this temptation to sleep. On one hand, you have your body saying to you, just close your eyes. It's going to feel so good just to close your eyes and give yourself Five seconds of sleep. It'll be okay to sleep. But you also know that once you close your eyes, the consequences can be fatal. You know, in our verses today, Paul is talking, about, talking to Christ followers who are tempted to sleep. And in the same way, the consequences can be fatal. Verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Now, the sleep that Paul's talking about is not physical sleep. He's referring to something spiritual. He's talking about how we are living our lives. And in the Greek, sleep could be defined as a lazy, lethargic, non-aggressive, passive Christian life. Now, the reason Paul is doing this is because in our section of Romans, we are in the very practical and ethical aspects of the Christian life. That for, for Romans 1 through 11, it's been a lot of doctrine, theology, and truth. And now in chapter 12, all the way to the end of Romans, it's all about the so what. So what? Now that, now that I know all this gospel truth, what difference does it make in my life? And Paul sets this all up in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that in light of God's mercy, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed into the person of Christ. And the most definitive characteristic of this transformation is love. That just last week, if you were with us, from Romans 12, verses 9 to 21, we saw over 20 ways in how we are to radically and profoundly love from Pastor Wraith. Rafe. Then in chapter 13, Paul teaches us about government and civil authority and how we are to be loving citizens. We pay our taxes. We honor those God has placed in authority. And in verse 8 of chapter 13, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. That all of us in this room, if you are a Christ follower, you have a debt to every person on this earth to love them. But you ask yourself, but why? 
they, they haven't done anything for me. That stranger hasn't done anything for me. The reason you owe a debt to love them is because you have been profoundly and generously loved by God. How could you not do the same for others? In light of the mercies of God in our lives, we are being transformed into loving, sacrificial people. Now, how this fits into our verses today is that Paul specifically talks to the kind of love that we're giving. Because often the love that we give can be pretty weak and shallow compared to biblical love. Because oftentimes the love that's easy for me to show or is more so the love that is sentimental, right? You say the nice words, hey, I just want to let you know, man, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, send a quick text or email, and this is all good and we should do this stuff, but so often that's as far as I really want to take it. I just want to leave it as sentimental. Biblical love always shows itself through costly sacrificial action. You know, for example, people like to say all the time, you know, when it comes to love, it's the thought that counts, okay? Let me just say, that doesn't work, okay? Especially in marriage. That never works. Uh, imagine I go to my wife and I say to her, baby girl, you know, that's what I call her, baby girl, I, I really want to buy you this amazing gift. But I didn't. But you know what? It's the thought that counts, right? And she'd be like, oh, that's great. No, I'll be sleeping in the garage. It's not going to work. Biblical love is really hard. It's not passive. It's rarely convenient. It's active. It's costly. It's countercultural. So Paul exhorts us here as a church, don't fall asleep on this. Don't fall into a lazy, lethargic, non-aggressive, non-active Christian life that fails to love others. Now, before we move on too fast here, we need to ask the question, is Paul talking to you? Is this relevant for you? Now, if you want to know if this is true or not, just reverse engineer the sermon that you heard last week in chapter 12. Take all the things that Pastor Rafe talked about, all these things that, that talked about what it looked like to be alive in Christ and thus loving others radically. If that is true, that this is what it looks like to be alive in Christ, you are loving others, the opposite is also true. To not love like this is a sign of conforming to this world. It's a sign that you are asleep spiritually. And let me just give you a couple of examples from last week's sermon, okay, as indicators. Romans 12, verse 3. Do you think highly of yourself? Do you have an isolated individualistic Christianity apart from the body of Christ? Romans 12, 9. Is your love hypocritical? Romans 12, 10. Are you outdoing one another in honor? Or are you going out of your way to dishonor others like those who voted differently than you? Romans 12, 11, You are slothful and lazy. Romans 12, 12, you are not constant in prayer. Prayerlessness is usually the first things to happen when you fall asleep spiritually. Now, if you actually recall, as Jesus is about to be arrested and he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tells his disciples to pray for him. And when he returns, what are they doing? They're sleeping. Romans 12, 13, you're not giving your time and your money to the church and to the mission of God. Romans 12, 15, we are not weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And finally, Romans 12, 20, we are not loving our enemies. Friends, have you fallen asleep? Have you fallen asleep? Have we become lazy, lethargic, non-aggressive, and passive in our Christian life? Charles Spurgeon once said this, 
No poisonous drug can give such deadly sleep as sin. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. So with that, here are the two questions I want to answer from our verses. Okay, two questions. The first is this, why is it time to wake up? And, this, and the second question, what am I to do after I wake up? Why is it now the time to wake up? And second, what am I to do when I do wake up? So first, why is it the time to wake up? Verse 11 and 12. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. We need to wake up because the time has come. And what is that time? It's the time of Christ's return. Paul says that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. Paul here is talking, telling us to look towards our future salvation. A future salvation that one day that when Jesus returns, the penalty, power, and presence of sin is no more. Look to the day when disease and death is done with. Look to the day when discouragement is done with. And each day that passes, Paul is saying, you are moving one day closer to that day of hope. In addition, Paul says in verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. The night stands for this age of darkness, of sin and misery, and this night is almost done. And how do you know? It's because you see the sun peaking on the horizon. That dawning that you see, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has broken through the darkness. He is bringing a new reign and a future kingdom, a day when death will be overcome and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. And the only tears that are going to be shed are tears of joy in Christ's presence. That is the hope we have. That no matter how dark it feels right now in your life, no matter how crazy this world gets with the election and pandemic, the sun will rise. As sure as you can see the sun coming up tomorrow morning, and a day after that, 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 that is how sure Christ will return. So sleepy Christians, it is time to wake up. Each day that passes is one day closer to Christ's coming. And here's the question I want to ask you. When that day comes, what is Jesus going to see from your life? What is he going to see from your life? Will he see you radically loving others? Or is he going to see you lazy, lethargic, non-aggressive, and passive in your spiritual life. You know, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives a parable about the talents. There was a man who goes on this long journey, and he left his business to his servants. He gave one servant five talents, another servant two talents, and the last servant one talent. Now, the one with five talents, he stewarded it well and gained five more talents. The one with two talents gained two more, and when the master returned, he was pleased to see that, and he said to both these servants, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. But the servant with one talent did not invest it, did not do anything with it, instead buried it in the ground. And when the master saw this and heard that he did nothing with the talent, he said this, Matthew 25, verse 30, 
and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Did you hear that? Did you hear that language? That is language for those who are eternally condemned. This one talent servant wasn't just a disappointment to the master. His failure to steward his one talent proved that this, that this servant wasn't even a believer. This is a parable that teaches us to wait well on the Lord. Do not be careless with what he has given you. Do not be careless with your time. We must be busy in the Lord's work. We must steward it, steward the life that he has given us and to, to steward the love that he has poured in our hearts. Being a sleepy Christian is not just a concern that your faith is being lukewarm or your faith is regressing. It poses an even more serious question. Are you even redeemed? Are you even redeemed? Too many believers are asleep in the church right now. And why is that? It's because we do a really good job justifying our sleep. We justified so well. You know, growing up, I heard all the time from my parents, Kenson, it's time to wake up. You got to go to school. Hey, man, let's get up. Let's get up. We got to go. We got to go. And every time I would hear them, I would go ahead, put on this pillow, and just cover up my ears and say, ah, la, 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 la. I don't hear a single thing, right? Have you guys done the same thing too? So I do that. And every time I do that, you know, I just go right back to sleep. And, and, and my parents even got me like a Radio Shack digital clock. And back in the 80s, that was a huge thing. But it didn't work because they put a snooze button on that thing. So snooze, 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 snooze. I just did not want to wake up. And as I would stay in bed and my parents would just plead with me, please wake up, I would rationalize my sleep. I would think to myself, I need to sleep. My body's telling me I'm tired. I can't learn in school if I'm tired, so I need to sleep. Or you know what? If I don't brush my teeth and I just wear the clothes I wore yesterday, I can buy myself an extra few minutes to sleep some more. Or I even told myself this, you know, I can sleep longer. My parents aren't going to really leave me at home by myself because they'll go to jail if that happens. So they won't do this to me, right? All I wanted to do was sleep, sleep, and sleep. I found every reason to justify it. In the same way, we too are doing that to our spiritual lives. You know, maybe that we've been attending church for a while now, and there has been moments, man, where the sermon has just hit you right in your soul. That even though we have 100 plus people here, right, you just felt like, man, that whatever was being preached, whatever was being said from the Word of God, you felt like God was speaking to no one but you. You were hearing the songs and your heart rejoiced, and you were filled with so much conviction. But three months later, there's no action to be shown. Do you know what you're doing? You're hitting the snooze button over and over and over again. The devil would love nothing more than to rock you back to sleep. Oh, it's time to wake up. I, I got to go and reach the lost. No, 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 no. Just go back to sleep. Hit the snooze button. You got plenty of time to reach them. Just go to sleep. Go to sleep. Wait, 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 wait. No. I, I need to wake up. I, I, need, I need to serve. I, I need to give. I need to love others. No, 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 no. Just go to sleep. God didn't mean that for you. Sleep. No, no, you know, you're, you're too busy. You've got too much on your plate, you know. But let someone else worry about that. Just go to sleep. 
right now, we are being cradled to sleep. It is time to wake up. Each day that is drawing closer is a closer return of Christ's return, and you don't have much time. Now, some of us here, we are on the younger side, so we often don't think about this. It's easy for us to think that we have forever, but our life can end at any moment, all right? It can end at any moment, and this is not meant to be a scare tactic, but it's true, especially now during a pandemic with COVID-19, bringing the world to its knees. It is an ever-present reality. Life is brief, and it is passing, and Jesus can return any moment. So build your life on eternal things. Things that last, God's word and his love. It is time to wake up. So here's the next question. What am I to do when I wake up? What am I to do? Verse 12 to 14. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, okay, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, as much as many of us love to wear our PJs, it's time to get changed. And Paul says here that it's time to put on the armor of light. Now, notice here that the Christian life is not just waking up, it's waking up for battle. That's the purpose of wearing armor. That as you step out into the day, arrows of deception, arrows of temptation will be flying at you at every direction. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are spiritual forces at work that want to keep you, that they are actively working to keep you in the darkness. If you are not a believer in this room here today, you need to know that these forces never, ever want you to see the light of salvation. They want to keep you as blind, as, as ignorant as possible. And for the believers in this room here, these are forces that want to keep you asleep, want to keep you lazy, want to keep you passive, so you are ineffective for the kingdom, so others don't see the light of salvation. To get ready to fight this spiritual battle, Paul says, wake up and put on your armor. Now, what exactly is the armor of light? In verse 14, Paul says this in addition to what to put on. He says, verse 14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So putting on the armor of light is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this language of what we are wearing is used throughout the New Testament as, as a way to talk about living in to the reality of your identity. That just last weekend was Halloween. And my son, as you can see here, uh, dressed up as Spider-Man. So we have a theme going on in the house here, Spider-Man here, right? So he dressed up as Spider-Man. And once he put on the, the red outfit and he put on his face mask, the next thing you know, he was shooting web everywhere in the house. He was climbing everywhere. All, all of a sudden, I became a bad guy. I have no idea what happened there. And he's fighting with me. But what was happening is that he was behaving in light of what he was wearing in the moment in the same way. Behave in light of who you are in Christ. Keep in mind who and what you are wearing. 
The Bible says that you are dead to sin, now act dead to sin. God says that you are children of light, so dress like it, live like it. The Bible says that you are the beloved of God, right? So embrace it and let it fill your heart with joy. So this is the armor. Now how then do I put this on? How can I put on this armor? It's through repentance. This is what it means to cast off and put off and to put on. That's, those are, that's language for repentance. First, Paul says to cast off the works of darkness. Paul doesn't say here, just let the works of darkness fall off of you. You know, that it will just come off on its own. Anyone who has ever dealt seriously with sin knows that sin never just drops off. It clings to you. It festers in your soul. We need to be ruthless in dealing with sin here. We need to cast it off. It's a throwing motion. It's a, it's a violent, aggressive motion to throw it off. Now, Paul here gives us some concrete examples of what we are to cast off. Verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Now notice here the diversity of sins. We have sexual sins, we have substance abuse, and quarreling and jealousy. Now for some of us here, those last two might feel really out of place. But before God, they are all equally wicked and evil. That we can't go ahead and just elevate some sins over others. They are all works of darkness. Now, let's look quickly at this list here. First, it says orgies. This is the idea of being carried away and being swept up in the flow. That this is a person completely driven by pleasure. Drunkenness, which means excessive, abusive drinking. You have sexual immorality. These are all sexual sins outside of God's design for sex to be in the covenant of marriage. You have sensuality. This is a person who moves from the actions of sexual sins to now finding their identity and worth in their sexual sins. Then you have quarreling. This is a person who's argumentative. This is a person who won't, who won't take anything less than having it their own way. And if they don't get it their own way, they will bicker, they will pick a fight, they will bully anybody. And then you finally have jealousy, wanting something that is not yours. If you notice, all these sins share the same heart issue. They are all forms of selfish love, and they are all forbidden by God. So cast it off, reject it, denounce this darkness in your heart. This is always the first step of repentance. It is to cast off. But this is the second step of repentance. It's to put on. Then now as you stand naked and vulnerable because you have confessed your sins to the Lord, it's within that same moment you are now clothed with the beauty of Christ. You know, in Luke chapter 15, there's a story of the lost son. He squanders it in his inheritance. He tells his dad, I wish you were dead, so give me my money. He rejects his father, and the next thing you know, he spends it all, and he's living and eating with the pigs. So this son decides and says to his head, he comes to his senses, he's like, I can go back to my dad and he'll make me a servant. That is way better than where I'm at right now. So he makes the long walk back home thinking that, you know, I'm going to go back, I'm going to be embarrassed, I'm going to be shamed, everyone's going to say to me, like, you know, you should have known better, what did I tell you what was going to happen to you? So he goes back expecting this, and as he goes back, what instead what he sees is his father running out 
to hug him, to clothe him, to put on the finest garments on him. Do you know what that, is, that picture is? That's a picture of us and what God does for us. That when we go to the cross and turn to him, he takes our filthy rags and, ro- and, and clothes us and robes us with his righteousness. And, and this is what it means to wake up. It's to put that on. It's to want Christ. It's to rest in Christ. It's the practice of reminding ourselves over and over again of your identity in Christ. That when the world would tempt you, tempt you to be anxious and worried, put on Christ, the supplier of all your needs. When the world surrounds us with chaos and uncertainty, like these elections here, put on Christ, the Prince of Peace. When the world would have you drown in shame and guilt, put on Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's time to wake up and put on the armor of light. It's time to put on Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, what's some application for us here? If you know the time, this is the application, if you know the time, it should bring a sense of urgency to our lives. A sense of urgency to our lives. You know, for example, you know, if you've ever overslept for work or for school, there is no worst feeling. You know, there have been times where I'm laying in bed and my wife just taps me on the shoulder and says, Honey, um, weren't you supposed to be that, at that meeting right now? And I'm like, what, what? No! Right, so everything in that sounds like in slow motion. No! So I'm screaming, I'm scrambling, there's no time for breakfast, you know, no time for coffee. I'm not brushing my teeth, I'm getting dresses, I'm running out the door, I get in the car, I'm driving on the wrong side of the road. You know, I, you know it's, it's just a wake-up call, like, I've got to get to this. Knowing the time creates a level of urgency. Does your life have that? You know, two real simple examples. First off, is there urgency, as we just talked about, in your repentance? Is there urgency to repent of your sins? You know, St. Bernard once said, He who does not hurry to repent without ceasing declares in reality that he does not need repentance. You know, those who have a small view of sin will be very slow in dealing with sin, but to have a fearful understanding of the severity of sin will lead to a radical and immediate repentance. And the longer we wait to confess and repent, the longer it's going to be to wake up spiritually because of all the callous that we build on our hearts. The more distant God will feel, the more lost we become because we're stepping deeper and deeper into darkness. You know, verse 14, Paul says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word provision literally means forethought. Don't give any thought in your head that could lead to sinful desires. Don't go on that website to awaken those lustful desires. Don't daydream of a better spouse. Don't simmer on how you've been overlooked or misunderstood by other people. That will only awaken resentment and envy. Make no provision for the flesh. Suffocate these sinful desires. Starve them to death. To know the time is to repent radically and urgently. Secondly, be urgent in waking others up. Be urgent in waking others up. To fall asleep is to forget God and to thus forget to love other people. And this should concern us and this concerns me. 
because we have hundreds of thousands of people in our city and millions of people across the world who are walking in darkness. And Jesus calls himself the light of the world, and we are to reflect that light through our actions and love. But when we are asleep, we are not shining that light. Thus the world can't see, and they stay in darkness. Do you see here? Our sleep is not just a detriment to our own soul, but it contributes to the damnation of others. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. I say this to your shame. The context of 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with the church that is taking believers to court, sleeping with other people, backbiting one another. And Paul says it's time to wake up. There are people around you who have no knowledge of God. So cast off the clothes of darkness and love the lost. Cast off the clothes of darkness and love the church. Cast off the clothes of darkness for the love of God. It's time to wake up and put on Christ. Let me just close with this. Augustine of Hippo was a third century theologian and church leader, and many of his writings and thinking laid the groundwork for other influential Christian thinkers like Calvin and Luther, you know, during this time. Now, before becoming this great teacher, Augustine, Augustine struggled with the most basic question, what was life all about? He struggled as what he would say with rampant immorality, immorality that he lived for his lust and he often frequented the brothel, brothels. And over time, he felt, so he felt so lost, so ashamed, so anxious. He wanted to stop all of this, but he couldn't do it. That as he would say in his own testimony, the evil in me was foul, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. One afternoon, as he wrestled through all of this at a friend's house, right in front of him was a Latin Bible sitting on the table, and Augustine just felt, heard this child's voice, and there was no child in the room, but he heard a child's voice that said, pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it. So Augustine goes ahead, picks up the Bible, and kind of just does like Bible roulette, and he just kind of flips anywhere. So he just flips right open. I don't recommend that, but he flips right open, and the first thing he reads is, guess what? Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. Let us not walk, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as he read those verses, he felt that his heart was flooded with light. And in that moment, he turned away from a life of disbelief and sin and put on Jesus Christ. He would later write this about that moment. He would say this, No further would I need to read, for instantly, at the end of those verses, Romans 13, light and serenity infused into my heart, and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. By the grace of God, Augustine woke up, and by the grace of God, may God wake up his church. Let's bow our heads and pray.